Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Okay, so the big story about a monkey this week was what people are calling the monkey selfie dispute. Bob Ferber, our legal expert, is here with us to describe. Bob, did you see this one? Yes, I did. So this wildlife photographer in Indonesia steps away from his camera and a curious crested black macaque takes a picture of himself and this goes viral. So now... PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, is suing on behalf of the monkey to make sure he owns the rights to his pictures. Bob, what's going on here? Yeah, Yeah, Bob, wait a second. What is going on? Because to me, this is uh, a beautiful picture and PETA is... Uh, injecting themselves where maybe they should, shouldn't be. That's, that's one element of this I, we would like you to comment on. This is all a part of a much bigger picture, an agenda of changing the status of animals from at property to something more, whether it's like a, so that they have rights and, and that they can be more protected. Uh, and PETA, being more of a, a more aggressive animal rights group, up until recently, actually, PETA really wasn't doing that much. SeaWorld, I think, had a little bit of an impact on that. But PETA and uh, a very well-known attorney, Stephen Wise, have been very aggressive in looking for fact situations where they can show to a judge that this animal is acting in a way that proves they should not be property. And frankly, in this case, it's a little bizarre, in my opinion, in that they're sort of taking a fact situation of an animal using somebody else's camera and then saying, well, he should own those photos because he has a right to it, uh, that he's more than just property. Mm-hmm. So did the, did the monkey know that he was taking this picture and have any intent? Actually, he emailed me several times yes. to say that he did. Know. I know. Uh, See, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I think everybody would agree the, the, the monkey is kind of being an instrument of this legal effort. I mean, I, I doubt seriously the monkey had any idea what he was doing, or maybe he did. But uh, the idea of an animal owning something, mm-hmm. I think that's actually, in my opinion, going a little far in this effort. It's, it's skipping steps. Most people in the animal community that I know, lawyers, believe that PETA and some of these other attorneys that are doing this are going a little too fast, that you need to take this in increments, and that the big fear is that if you take something like this to court, almost every judge that I've on the planet is probably going to say, this monkey does not have the rights to a photograph. It's an animal. And so you'll end up having what we call bad law. You'll have a judge that rules against the effort to make animals something more than property, and then it'll be used by other judges later on and slow the process of giving animals more rights. You know, sometimes I think Peter's, some of PETA's actions are just garnered to uh, get some a donation or just some no- get them in the news cycle. Very few people know, but as far as I'm aware, PETA gets more money than any other animal group on the planet. Wow. Uh, they are, and I. So I think you've got something there. They get more than HSUS, World Wildlife Fund, or ASPCA, uh, and I agree with you that I think some of it is very much a marketing. Now, is it good or bad? I. You could make an argument, Peter, that having the public hearing about this at least begins a discussion. People start talking about this, which is better than nothing at all. But again, I revert back to my own feeling as an attorney is that this is more of publicity and it's going to create more negative feeling. And I think some people would say it undermines the effort to protect animals by kind of almost making a mockery of it. Because seriously, is the best way to give an animal protection as something more than property by saying it owns a, a photograph? Yes. Okay, well, there's uh, a different story involving a monkey in Florida, right, Lori? Yes. Okay, so guys, I want to talk about this other story. Bob, did you see this story where someone's pet monkey got out and was found eating a neighbor's mail right out of his mailbox? Yes, I couldn't miss it. I even saw the video of the partial video of the monkey on top of a police car. 
So is that tampering with mail, and is he liable, or is his owner liable? <laughs> well, as, as you know, we've kind of almost, some people have joked about this at first, of, oh, this is funny, and tampering with the mail, but it's got an interesting connection to uh, the monkey that took the selfie picture, in that it raises a question of this whole national or worldwide effort to make animals have more status than just as a piece of property, which I believe wholeheartedly in. But we have to think the, through the consequences of, of establishing or, or changing the status of animals. If we, cha- if we make an animal as more than property, and it can actually, let's say, own a photograph, or it can have the right to have an attorney, then it also, what about an animal that breaks the law? Can that animal, in all seriousness, the monkey that broke into the mail, can that be pro- if that animal has is something more than property? If it's like a child, can you prosecute it? Um, the animal was on top of a police car, damaging police property. What does that mean? Uh, can they? Uh, can we go after the animal and put the animal in jail? It, it even raises the question of the rights of the monkey uh, when the police showed up. I have to give a lot of credit to the police in Florida for not shooting that animal. A lot of police departments would have said, just shoot the animal immediately. Yeah. Well, let's say they did shoot it. Does that mean it's now a police shooting like we see all over the country? Is this a, you know, does that animal or the, the what about the relatives of that monkey? Do they have a right to money because their their father monkey died or child it raises a lot of complicated questions that i think groups like PETA have not thought through or are just disregarding and i think it undermines and and kind of makes some people more hostile to the whole idea of changing animals from property to something else now in this particular case the monkey should not have gotten out and yet he's out and so what responsibility does the owner of the monkey have that's a really good question in most cities in around the country if you're a dog or cat or you'll see your dog gets out um, and does damage you're responsible for the damage if a monkey goes out it, it raises a good question is the owner responsible it may depend on the law in that particular community uh, and it would it would actually have to be something where the people who's, let's say the police department, would have to bring a lawsuit against the owners of the monkey. Yeah. And, of course, the kind of the, the, the part that's kind of interesting is the owners of the monkey could say, well, we're not responsible. He's more than property. He's got his own life. Just go sue the monkey. Talk to his lawyer. Yeah, talk to his lawyer. I like that. And in all seriousness, that is things that we do have to think about. And is the monkey going to be treated like a two-year-old, like a 10-year-old, like an 18-year-old? Is it going to be tried as an adult? Uh, it, it brings up all these issues that we really have to think through in all seriousness as we go into courtrooms trying to change the minds of judges. Well, Bob, are pet monkeys even allowed? It depends. There are species of monkeys that are legal, and it depends on the states that you're in. And I'm actually not familiar with Florida law, but it depends on the species. I don't honestly know whether or not that monkey was actually legal. If it wasn't legal, then then what happens is the monkey ends up, the consequences are the monkey does go to jail, becomes impounded, taken by animal control, and it can be uh, put into either a sanctuary or, or destroyed. From what I understand from the article, uh, in this case, the monkey was returned to the owner, which is a happy ending. Yeah. So, Bob, we joked about this earlier, but is there anything special about the tampering with mail in this case? Well, it's it, I don't really think so. It's It's another possible crime. I mean, it's a crime to tamper with the mail. It's a crime to tear off molding from a police car. Um, it's just a matter of who's, what laws are being broken. Tampering with the mail is a federal violation, which would involve another level of government. And frankly, in most communities around the country, if there's tampering of the mail, uh, the federal government does not have the time or resources to go after people. And we've heard stories around the country of people breaking into mailboxes and stealing mail from people right in front of um, our local post office here in Los Angeles. They were taking the mail out of the mailbox that was in front of 
the mail, uh, the, the post office. Uh, there was no real effort to find out who was doing it. The federal government simply issued statements saying, just be careful. Yes. Okay, Bob Ferber, thanks for talking monkey talk with us. Don't go away more with animals today right after the break. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. So you and your family have decided to get a dog or cat. We think that's great. And we want to remind you to adopt your next companion animal instead of buying. That's because shelters have so many loving dogs and cats waiting for a home that it just doesn't make sense to buy a pet from a breeder or pet store. And sadly, over half of all animals that enter shelters are killed. That's millions per year. So when you adopt your pet from a shelter, most likely you really are saving a life. When you go to a shelter to adopt your new dog or cat, you will find many wonderful choices for your new family member. And please tell your friends and family to visit the shelter when they are ready to get a new dog or cat. Ask anyone. When you adopt an animal, you'll have a loyal friend for life. And you'll feel pretty good, too. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org and on Facebook. That's AIAnimals.org. Every day in the United States, 70,000 puppies and kittens are born. Unfortunately, there are not enough homes for all these cats and dogs. As a result, they end up being neglected, abandoned, or euthanized in shelters. In fact, millions of healthy, loving, and adoptable pets are killed in our shelters every year. On average, more than half of animals that enter shelters get euthanized. However, there is good news and two powerful ways you can help this problem. First, make sure to have your dogs and cats fixed even before they have one litter. That is a good way to reduce overpopulation. And second, when you want a new pet, make sure to adopt him from a shelter instead of buying him from a pet store or a breeder. When you adopt, you really save a life, and that makes everybody very happy. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Hey folks, it's Danny here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. Do you owe the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. 
Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. Welcome back to Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. I now want to play for you a segment I broadcast approximately five or so years ago about the devastation that occurred in Katrina and planning for natural disasters for your dogs and cats. But what about our animals in natural disasters? What can we do as pet owners to prepare for storms and earthquakes or hurricanes, whatever? And what can the government do to help our pets in the event of a natural disaster? And we all remember when Katrina slammed into New Orleans as a Category 4, I think, hurricane about three, three and a half years ago. And we all know the horror stories and the terrible devastation that occurred to, to people and to homes and schools and roads. People still speculate over causes of the destruction of the city's flood wall system. And, you know, some would even say that what happened in New Orleans was not a natural disaster. It was a due to some multiple federal failure. But listen, the point is a hurricane or natural disaster did occur that resulted in massive destruction. And we're never going to forget the devastation that occurred from Katrina. And as an animal lover, we're also we don't want to forget that pets played a role in some of Katrina's countless horror stories. I know a lot of people out there probably thinking, you know, how can I even mention a concern for people's pets in the disaster when people lost their homes and their jobs and their security, right? But we must think about the animals. Many of those families lost what they considered as a family member. We talked about this, their pet. It's a family member to them. And to many of those families, you know, true, their pet was not that important to them compared to the lives of or compared to their own lives or uh, their family's lives or their homes or for whatever reason, they left their pet behind to die. And some owners expecting to return a few days later left food and water for their pets. And you know what happened. The days turned into weeks and and pets had to struggle or survive without supplies or the love and care of their owners. But in, in any and all of these cases... Thousands of animals suffered and died. And good came out of it, though. I have to tell you, because um, provisions were made for the animals for future disasters because of what happened in in Katrina. It was estimated that 600,000 pets were killed or left without shelter as a result of Hurricane Katrina. Thousands died from drowning and starvation, illness, and dogs tied up in backyards were left to drown. Okay, you know, I don't have to tell you specific details. You can picture in your mind the way these animals die. But also in some of the the pets that actually made it out of the storm, they were separated from their owners at shelters. And most of them never reunited with their owners. Remember, most helicopter pilots, remember this, and rescue boat captains refused to load pets in order to hold more people. And some buses would not allow pets. So while some field hospitals did allow pets to enter with their patients, and I don't know if you remember this, the Superdome, you know, when everyone was congregating at the Superdome, when that was evacuated, they were not allowed to take their pets with them. So... Rescue teams were set up in the worst hit regions in response to desperate pleas from pet owners. And the Humane Society of the United States, in conjunction with the Louisiana SPCA and many other groups, had hundreds of staff and volunteers working in Louisiana and and Mississippi. And, And so many of the rescued animals had no identification tags. So even if in cases where owners could be identified, they've proven hard to track down. Concerned animal lovers across the nation adopted Katrina orphaned cats and dogs. They were sending animals all over the country. I personally know of one shelter here in our own valley that took homeless and abandoned and sick pets in from Katrina. But the biggest issue to emergency authorities at the time were the people who stayed in New Orleans during Katrina stayed because they refused to leave their pets behind. And we, we spoke about this 
at length, we know to a lot of people these animals are like their children and, and their family. And a survey conducted after Katrina found that 44% of those who chose to ride out the storm, they did it because they could not evacuate with their animals. So a bill was initiated in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina when the abandonment of many thousands of pets and other animals brought the matter of animal welfare in disasters to national attention. The Pets Evacuation and Transportation Standards Act, okay, P-E-T-S, PETS, was a bipartisan initiative in the United States House of Representatives. They set it up to require states seeking FEMA assistance to accommodate pets and service animals in their plans for evacuating residents facing disaster. The bill passed the House of Representatives on May 22, 2006, and it was signed into law by President George W. Bush on October 6, 2006. The bill is now public law. I don't know if you remember, this bill was initially inspired by the story of Snowball. I don't remember exactly, but it went something like this. Some police officer or some authority confiscated a little boy's dog named Snowball from the little boy. And, and you just see pictures of the boy crying and, and, you know, give me back my little dog, Snowball. And because I guess the dog wasn't allowed on the bus. So this attracted national attention. And everyone at the time was on a mission to help locate Snowball and reunite him with the boy. And I do remember there were some initial reports saying that they finally located and found Snowball. And then these original reports of, of recovery or Snowball were inaccurate. It ended up being another dog. And Snowball was never found and, or reunited with the boy. So inspired by the story of Snowball, U.S. Representative Tom Lantos, Democrat, California, introduced the Pets Evacuation and Transportation Standards Act to the House of Representatives. So, you know, our pets depend on us for their safety and survival. As responsible pet owners, we have an obligation to know what to do in case a disaster strikes, which can occur at a moment's notice. Whether they are a natural disaster from fire or storms or man-made disasters such as a terrorist attack, the best way to beat it is to plan early. And the devastating effects of the hurricane has pushed local and federal government to either change their policies or develop new ones to include the safety of pets. Okay? But you and I need to make sure we do everything in our power to make sure our family, including our pets, are safe. You need to establish a good plan of action. And the best time to, to think about the safety of your family, including your pet, is prior to there being a disaster. Every day in the United States, tens of thousands of puppies and kittens are born. Unfortunately, there are not enough homes for these cats and dogs. One unfixed female cat and her offspring can be the source of more than 400,000 cats in seven years. One female dog and her unfixed offspring can produce about 67,000 puppies. Too many cats and dogs are unwanted, so they end up being neglected, abandoned, or turned into shelters. Millions of healthy pets are killed in shelters annually in the U.S. More than 50% of the animals that enter our country's shelters get euthanized. Fortunately, there is a solution to prevent this unnecessary killing of animals. Have your pet spayed or neutered. If you want a new dog or cat, rescue one from a shelter and save a life. This message is sponsored by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? Well, you should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. 
If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Dana Lash here. Our freedom and independence is not free. Veterans and their families pay the price for your freedom and for mine. Veterans' families are many times unprepared to deal with what our warriors bring home. The pain, the nightmares, feelings of detachment, irritability, trouble concentrating, and sleeplessness. These are some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. The Purple Heart Foundation would like to offer all of you out there, all of my listeners, the book Tears of a Warrior, a family story of combat by Janet and Anthony Seahorn as a free gift. Tears of a Warrior was written to educate families families and veterans about the symptoms of PTS and to offer strategies for living with the disorder. The book is free to anyone who would like a copy. All you pay is shipping. Go to purpleheartfoundation.org. That's purpleheartfoundation.org or call 800-935-9941. That's 800-935-9941. Order the free book or give a donation in honor of a veteran you know. You can donate a car or cash. All donations go directly to help veterans nationwide. 800-935-9941 or purpleheartfoundation.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. As we all marvel at the amazing pictures that a tiny spacecraft has sent to us from the farthest reaches of our solar system, it's a good time to think about all the ways we've benefited from space exploration, and might still in the future. Modern conveniences like cell phone cameras, scratch-resistant lenses for sunglasses, and water purification systems were all originally developed by NASA. Because of all the brilliant minds working there, it often seems like the only limit on what we can create is our own imagination. Unfortunately, one of the barriers to innovation is entirely man-made and unique to America, legal fear. Currently, a device invented by a former NASA engineer that could save lives by making it impossible to text, talk, or email on a cell phone while driving is being kept off the market, in large part because of fears about lawsuits. Let's be fair, there are actually many products that haven't made it to market because of concerns about the excessive litigation in America, and you would be amazed at what they can do. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Welcome back. We received notice from our friends at the American Bird Conservancy that they won a big ruling in favor of bald and golden eagles. This is another chapter in the ongoing disagreement between the wind energy industry and those who recognize that the turbines injure and kill many raptors and bats and that tighter regulation of the wind farms, especially where they are built, is needed. The headline of the opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal reads, quote, Obama's wind energy lobby gets blown away. A California judge rules in favor of bald eagles and against 30-year permits to shred them. I want to welcome attorney Eric Glitzenstein, who represented the American Bird Conservancy as a plaintiff in the case. He is a founding partner of Meyer, Glitzenstein, and Eubanks, where he specializes in environmental, wildlife, animal protection, natural resource, open government, and other public interest cases. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Happy to be here. Eric, we have covered uh, this issue over the years a few times with the American Bird Conservancy and also Save the Eagles International. Give us a little background on this lawsuit. What led up to it? Well, for quite a few years, there have been um, concerns that wind power, although 
obviously of importance if we shift away from from fossil fuels as everyone recognizes or at least everyone who acknowledges that climate change is a serious problem recognizes we need to do uh, that wind power is not without environmental costs especially when turbines are placed in locations that are highly risky and problematic for wildlife species you mentioned bald and golden eagles and bats um, and many other migratory birds and other species can be affected if wind turbines, which are uh, not your mom and pop's uh, little wind power uh, operations. These are massive industrial power plants that take up a huge amount of space and, and a particular concern to birds of all kinds, but particularly raptors, um, eagles and and, uh, and hawks and, and other um, birds of prey. Uh, they take up a huge amount of airspace. Um, and when they're placed in uh, a migratory route uh, or they're placed near nesting sites or other sites of critical biological importance, uh, they can have enormous uh, adverse consequences. And so for quite a few years, um, groups like the American Bird Conservancy um, have been trying to impress upon the industry as well as the administration uh, that we need to develop a balanced wildlife-sensitive approach uh, to developing um, renewable energy sources and wind power in particular. Um, and unfortunately, um, it's, I think it's fair to say uh, that uh, some of these concerns um, have really not played out with wildlife-friendly policies. And the one that's at issue in the case that we litigated successfully uh, was a uh, regulation that dealt with a regulation that was issued under the Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act, a statute that specifically protects um, those species because of their extraordinary uh, cultural importance, uh, importance to the Native American communities, uh, and simply their uh, iconic significance to the U.S. Um, and uh, the purpose of that statute really is to provide a very protective regime. And in light of that protective regime, for many years, um, the maximum length of a permit that one could take in order to have an adverse impact on eagles, um, and that's uh, an adverse impact of killing, injuring, um, even disturbing eagles that are attempting to breed was a five-year permit length. Um, uh, but at the behest of the wind power industry, which argued that it needed a much longer permit term uh, in order to accommodate wind power projects in eagle habitat, and that is the whole point of getting a permit, because if you're not going to kill eagles or harm eagles and you don't need that kind of permit, uh, that they needed a much, much longer permit term. Um, and. Uh, many people raised concerns about uh, the kind of permit duration they were asking for, which would be up to 30 years, uh, arguing that we don't know enough about how these projects are going to impact eagle populations. We don't even know en enough about the biology and population dynamics of eagles uh, over a period of, of, of duration like that. And therefore, to adopt that kind of a, uh, a regulation allowing permits of that length would be extraordinarily risky and potentially devastating to eagle populations. Um, and uh, notwithstanding concerns like that expressed by American Bird Conservancy, but also many other conservation and environmental groups, uh, as well as Native American representatives and tribes, um, scientists uh, who study eagles, uh, and rather remarkably, even the National Park Service, which is a fellow uh, agency within the Interior Department, um, commented to the Fish and Wildlife Service, the agency that had to adopt these regulations, that this would be uh, harmful uh, to eagles who use national parks as well as to uh, populations that are uh, taking advantage of migratory routes where uh, national parks exist. Even the National Park Service uh, urged that this rule not be adopted and said it was excessively risky. Notwithstanding those concerns, uh, the rule was adopted. Um, and to make it actually uh, perhaps most uh, disturbing, was adopted without even analyzing the impacts uh, under uh, one of the most important environmental laws that's ever been adopted, the National Environmental Policy Act. And the whole purpose of that statute, which uh, uh, is frequently referred to as NEPA, um, there's a federal NEPA, and there are many states have adopted a substantial equivalent, but the purpose of those kinds of statutes is at least to look before you leap, to at least seriously study the impacts of a particular agency action, uh, as well as possible alternatives to that agency action. Um, and uh, as I say, perhaps most disturbing of all, 
uh, despite uh, many people urging the government to at least seriously scrutinize these kinds of uh, impacts from a rule like this under the National Environmental Policy Act um, in a uh, NEPA document, um, the government refused to do so. Okay. And they refused to do so even though their own internal experts uh, on these issues, both their experts on eagles as well as their experts on compliance with NEPA, uh, in the opinion that we received from the judge, uh, she lays out um, how the experts themselves within the Fish and Wildlife Service urged um, that uh, the rule not be adopted in the form it was, and that at the very least there be a serious analysis of the uh, impacts and alternatives. And, and notwithstanding all of that, uh, the uh, Fish and Wildlife Service went ahead and adopted the regulation with this uh, exponential increase in the number of years that eagles could be killed or otherwise taken. Um, we went to court, and of course, uh, as you indicated, we received a favorable ruling from the judge. But th that sort of gives you an overall context for the ruling that we received. Why do you think the 30-year the permits were permitted to, to go forward? Uh, what, what were the factors behind the scenes that, that led to that? There's really actually no secret about that. It, it was laid out of the rule itself, um, and the rule itself made quite clear that they were doing it specifically at the request of one industry, which was the wind power industry, mm -hmm. uh, which obviously um, has a great deal of sway uh, in this day and age, particularly with the Obama administration. Um, and I should emphasize that, uh, again, uh, American Bird Conservancy, many who care about these issues, uh, don't necessarily see themselves as being uh, in conflict or should be in conflict with the wind power industry. Uh, there are many places where one can build wind power projects that would help you know, create a shift to renewable energy, um, but that don't involve these kinds of very serious impacts on wildlife. Uh, but there seems to be an attitude among some, and I, I sad to say, I think among some in the administration, who believe that we really have to promote renewable energy at all costs, yeah. uh, even costs that uh, one would ordinarily believe to be uh, ex excessively high for wildlife and wildlife populations. Um, and so when the wind power industry asked for a 30-year permit term, they, they received it. Um, and that was really the, the rationale for it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's sort of said that way point blank when the rule was adopted, that the wind power industry said they wanted a, a permit term that long in order to accommodate uh, their projects of 20 or 30 years, as well as to facilitate financing of those projects. And the administration went along with that without really even analyzing whether it was truly necessary for the industry, what the consequences would be, um, and those kinds of factors that one would ordinarily look at when one was adopt when one would be adopting a policy of this magnitude. But but it really is as simple as that. It's something that this particular industry desired, um, and the administration unfortunately just sort of handed it to them on a silver platter. Eric, what do you think happens now? Well, under the court's ruling, the 30-year permit term was uh, eliminated, vacated in legal parlance. Um, pending an analysis that the judge said had to be done under the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, and so at the bare minimum, what we're hoping is that the government, um, federal government, Fish and Wildlife Service in particular, will take that to heart uh, and will go back and do a very serious analysis, um, including looking at all aspects of the rule. Um, there are ways in which one can have a longer uh, project term that don't necessarily take the kind of risks with vehicles that this rule took. Uh, for example, uh, nothing under the old rule where there was a five-year permit length necessarily precluded that permit term being extended, but only when there would be appropriate public review um, and only when there would be appropriate scientific input. And, and one of the things that the American Bird Conservancy has urged for many years, and really an organization that I have to say um, had the courage um, and the foresight to take on this battle uh, when others would, would not necessarily be willing to do so, uh, they basically urged that as long as we're building in safeguards so that we're taking into account new information, if we learn new things about how to mitigate or minimize impacts on eagle populations, which we really don't know at all at this point, mm -hmm. those things can be incorporated into the process in a way that they really have not been um, with the rule that was adopted. So we're hoping that not only will they comply with the, with the technical terms of what the court said they had to do, but they will really take it to heart and adopt a rule which is much more productive and strikes a much better balance 
uh, between the needs of wildlife and eagles in particular um, and the importance of developing renewable energy and wind power specifically. Right, with balance being the operative term, right, Eric? Correct. Yeah. That's exactly what we're looking for. Okay. Well, I want to thank you very much, uh, Eric Glitzenstein, for joining us on Animals Today. Congratulations on this victory, and uh, we really appreciate your work on uh, behalf of all of us and our uh, friends, the raptors. My pleasure to be here, and I appreciate your covering these issues. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Hey folks, it's Dana here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. For millions of baseball fans who attend big league games each year, the possibility of catching a foul ball is one of the attractions of the game. According to one study, as many as 53,000 foul balls are caught by happy fans each year. However, if lawyers who just filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball have their way, a lot fewer fans will be leaving games with a souvenir ball. Under the lawsuit, all ballparks, including the historic Wrigley Field in Chicago and Fenway Park in Boston, would be required to extend protective netting from behind home plate all the way to the foul poles in left and right field. The lawyers argue that warnings about foul balls printed on tickets, posted around the ballparks, and mentioned over the PA system are not enough. Let's be fair, serious injuries do happen, and baseballs have been flying into the stands for decades, even before Babe Ruth was playing. But do we really want a policy like this that affects millions of baseball fans to be decided by one lawsuit? Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Not available in California, Louisiana, and Virginia. Listeners, do you have startup capital and want to invest in a booming business with incredible profit and growth potential? The opportunity is now because Fresh Healthy Vending, the number one healthy vending franchise in North America, is looking for a few business-savvy, healthy-minded people right here in the local area to become Fresh Healthy Vending franchise owners. We're growing so fast that we've had hundreds of new franchise owners in the last few years alone. Now you can join them. This area has a huge demand for Fresh Healthy organic snacks on the go, and that's exactly what you'll be selling with your Fresh Healthy Vending Machine. We've already identified prime high-traffic locations that are perfect for healthy vending machines. Now we just need the right people to join our franchise network and help Fresh Healthy Vending continue to boom. If this sounds like you, go to readyforfresh.com today and enter code 1414. We'll send you a free owner information kit. As an added bonus to new franchise owners, we'll also pay half the franchise fees. Hurry, this offer is limited. Just go to readyforfresh.com and enter code 1414. That's readyforfresh.com, code 1414. Welcome back. When you have your pet groomed, what are your expectations about the experience and training 
of the groomer. Do you worry about the safety of your, of your pet? Well, if you don't, maybe you should, because our next guest, Hannah Hartman, had a bad experience with her poor dog, and she's here to tell us about it, and also especially to tell us what she's doing about it. Welcome, Hannah. Hi. So welcome to the show, and we wanted to uh, briefly hear about how you got interested in uh, this issue of licensing groomers in California. Hi, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, um, it all started last January 2014. Uh, my mom took my seven-year-old at the time, Shitsu, in for his routine haircut, and he came out of his appointment unable to walk. Hmm. Um, up until that point, he had been completely healthy, running around, very active, no um, health issues up until that point. Um, and he came out with a dislocated hip after his haircut. Hmm. And what happened then? So then, you know, since then it was, um, my family and myself constantly calling Petco, um, trying to get answers to what happened. Um, Joey had to have two closed hip reductions. Hmm. Um, first steps were non-invasive, um, putting him in a sling we actually had to carry him for two weeks at a time like a baby. He had to be confined to a small crate that he could heal. And unfortunately, the x-ray revealed that um, his hip was still dislocated. So he had to have um, his femur head removed oh my on his back right hip. Mm. And uh, before we go on, how is Joey doing now? You know, he's he's... Certainly got his energy back, but he's never the same. I mean, oh, when he sorry. runs, his back labels give out and slip. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's certainly been a long recovery since his two procedures and surgery. He had about 10 physical therapy sessions. So this uh, unfortunate incident led you to take a bigger action. Uh, explain that to us. Yeah, so, you know, I'm grateful um, at this time with my situation. The only saving grace was social media. Um, after Joey's injury, you know, I reached out to Petco through emailing, um, calling, and then not getting much of a response, feeling like, you know, his how many months can my dog's medical records be under review? Um, I decided to take the social media route, and I posted on the Facebook page, posted on mine, and eventually um, local Channel 7 News caught wind of our story, um, and last May interviewed me, interviewed my family, and within 24 hours, um, Petco actually contacted us, and that got me to really doing research, doing my homework, and with that, and again, with the use of you know, the media and social media um, and the Internet, I discovered hundreds of stories, um, mm-hmm. not just in California, but, you know, this is a national um, tragedy that's occurring. And you're not targeting or focusing specifically on Petco. You're concerned about groomers everywhere, right? Right. And I feel like, you know, our family's just one of the many that I've either met in person or discovered and we've connected through the phone that, um, you know, I personally had no idea that groomers weren't licensed, that there was no regulation and it doesn't matter. Um, to my shock, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're a small shop or um, you're part of a big corporation. You know, you or I tomorrow could go, you know, take a pair of scissors or open up our own grooming shop. There's no... Um, you know, certification is no mandatory mm. license yes. to do that. I would bet most people would be surprised about that. Uh, so what did that lead you to do? You're trying to uh, create a licensing agency or a division in California. Yeah. So through that, through Joey's injury, um, I discovered um, through research and talking to people, Lucy's Law, um, which was you know, our state, California, was pretty much the first to even draft any kind of, you know, language and um, steps towards hopefully creating a, a law in place. And so I'm currently really working in California to uh, reenact Lucy's Law. I'm looking to, I've spoken with Senator Leto's representatives. I've spoken, again, I continue 
if not daily, a weekly basis to get um, continual articles and you know the media um, on this as I'm talking to other people. Mm-hmm. And what would you hope this? Uh, you're hoping to pass legislation or pass uh, regulation. I'm hoping um, to pass, you know, both regulation and legislation. Um, It's not an easy process. Um, Again, you know, I think some people are, you know, still shocked. I mean, still shocked to hear what happened to my dog. And, you know, it's, I feel like, unfortunately, those people that are blindsided like I was, many of us learned the hard way, learned the hard way that, there isn't regulation and there isn't currently legislation in place. So I even feel like with Joey's injury, there was no protocol. There was no emergency protocol in place so that these groomers, whether in a big shop, small shop, they are not held responsible. They're not liable in these kind of injuries. Yes. So there would be uh, training involved, and I imagine schools or programs to uh, that the grooming students would have to go through. Wouldn't this uh, add to their indebtedness and uh, make the whole grooming process much more expensive for the customers? You know, that's what um, I know New Jersey is currently really pushing ahead with Bijou's bill. Bijou was a Shih Tzu that was killed during um, his routine grooming at um, PetSmart. And really, it's, you know, we're we're not really after the money. We're not trying to make this be burdensome other than really fighting for our pets and looking to protect our pets and people that have been grooming you know many are grandfathered in many have been grooming for many years so we're really trying to work with groomers um, as well as pet parents to find out what works best and to acknowledge those people that have been doing this for many years so what can uh, people in California or elsewhere do to uh, encourage progress on this issue? Can they reach you? You know, right now I'm actively speaking what they've told me, power politician. I've <laughs> called, I've used social media, I've emailed, email chains, um, just getting the word out even in San Francisco as I'm walking Joey in the neighborhood, um, urging people to call their either local representatives, call Senator Leno um, to let them know that they support Lucy's Law. Okay. Lucy's Law in California and call your local representative and tell them that you want greater oversight for of groomers in the state to protect our, our dogs. Hannah Hartman, thank you very much and uh, good luck. We'll be following it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And this is Dr. Peter Spiegel encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org.